Woodhouse sometimes takes several chapters to assemble his characters in the place where the action occurs. But in this novel, he plays a few blinders, and by page 36, we know that Jeeves has handed in his notice to Bertie because he can't bear the sound of him playing the banjolele. Bertie declares he will not submit. So he rents a country cottage on his friend Chuffy, that is Lord Chuffnell's estate. Chuffy may own everything locally, but it, unfortunately he's almost bankrupt. Not so bankrupt, incidentally, that he can't afford to employ Jeeves as his valet. The usual priorities, of course, must be observed. However, things are looking up because Chuffy's Aunt Myrtle is engaged to be married and her intended is bringing to lunch an American millionaire who may or may not take the place of Chuffy's hands. Aunt Myrtle's intended, of course, who else, is Sir Roderick Glossop. And as the car draws up, Bertie observes with dismay that passenger A was J. Washburn Stoker, passenger B was his daughter Pauline, passenger C was his young son Dwight, and passenger D was Sir Roderick Glossop. Page 37 brings us to chapter 4 entitled, Annoying Predicament of Pauline Stoker. I must say I was pretty well at Twitter. It was about as juicy a biff as I'd had for years. To have encountered this segment of the dead past in London would have been bad enough. Running into the gang down here like this, with the prospect of a lengthy luncheon party ahead, was a dashed sight worse. I removed the lid with as much courtly grace as I could muster up, but the face had coloured with embarrassment and I was more or less gasping for air. Chuffy was being the genial host. Hello, hello. Here you all are. How are you, Mr Stoker? How are you, Sir Roderick? Hello, Dwight. Uh, um, good morning, Miss Stoker. May I introduce my friend Bertie Worcester? Mr. Stoker, my friend Bertie Worcester. Dwight, my friend Bertie Worcester. Miss Stoker, my friend Bertie Worcester. Sir Roderick Glossop, my friend Bertie. Oh, but you know each other already, don't you? I was still under the ether. You will agree that all this was enough to rattle any chap. I surveyed the mob. Old Stoker was glaring at me. Old Glossop was glaring at me. Young Dwight was staring at me. Only Pauline appeared to find no awkwardness in the situation. She was as cool as an oyster on the half-shell, and as chirpy as a spring breeze. We might have been meeting by appointment, where Bertram could find only a tentative pip-pip. She bounded forward, full of speech, and grabbed the old hand warmly. Well, 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 old Colonel Worcester in person. Fancy finding you here, Bertie. I called you up in London, but they told me you'd left. Yes, I came down here. I see you did, you little blob of sunshine. Well, sir, this has certainly made my day. You're looking fine, Bertie. Don't you think he's looking lovely, father? Old Stoker appeared reluctant to set himself up as a judge of male beauty. He made a noise like a pig swallowing half a cabbage, but refused to commit himself further. Dwight, a solemn child, was drinking me in in silence. Sir Roderick, who had turned purple, was now fading away to a lighter shade, but still looked as if his inner feelings had sustained a considerable wallop. At this moment, however, the dowager Lady Chuffnell came out, 
She was one of those powerful women who looked like female masters of hands, and she handled the mob scene with quiet efficiency. Before I knew where I was, the whole gang had gone indoors, and I was alone with Chuffy. He was staring at me in an odd manner and doing a bit of lower lip biting. I didn't know you knew these people, Bertie. I met them in New York. You saw something in Mistoka there? A little. Only a little. Oh, oh, quite, 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 quite a little. I thought her manner seemed rather warm. Oh, no, about normal. I should have imagined you were great friends. Oh, no, just fairly pally. She goes on like that with everyone. She does? Oh, yes, big-hearted, you see. She has got a delightful, impulsive, generous, spontaneous, genuine nature, hasn't she? Oh, absolutely. A beautiful girl, Bertie. Oh, very. And charming. Oh, most. In fact, attractive. Oh, quite. I saw a good deal of her in London. Oh, yes. We went to the zoo and Madame Tussauds together. I see. And what does she seem to feel about this buying the house binge? She seems all for it. Uh, tell me, laddie, I said, anxious to get off the current subj. How do the prospects look? He knitted to the chaffinal brow. Sometimes good, sometimes not. I see. Uncertain, I understand. This stoker chap makes me nervous. He's friendly enough as a general rule, but I can't help feeling that at any moment he may fly off the handle and scratch the entire fixture. You can't tell me if there are any special subjects to avoid when talking to him, can you? Special subjects? Well, you know how it is with a stranger. You say it's a fine day, and he goes all white and tense because you've reminded him that it was a fine day that his wife eloped with the chauffeur. I considered. Well, if, if I were you, I said, I wouldn't harp too much on the topic of B. Worcester. I mean, if you were thinking of singing my praises, I wasn't. Well, don't. He doesn't like me. Why not? Oh, just one of those unreasonable antipathies. And I was thinking, old man, if it's all the same to you, it might be better if I didn't join the throng at the luncheon table. You can tell your aunt I've got a headache. Well, if the sight of you is going to infuriate him, uh, what makes him buy you so much? Don't know. Well, I'm glad you told me. You'd better sneak off. I will. And I suppose I ought to be joining the others. He went indoors, and I started to take a turn or two up and down the gravel. I was glad to be alone. I wished to muse upon this matter of his attitude towards Pauline Stoker. I wonder if you'd mind just going back a bit and running the mental eye over that part of our conversation which it had had to do with the girl. Anything strike you about it? No? Oh well, to get the full significance, of course, you ought to have been there and observed him. I am a man who can read faces, and chuffies had seemed to me highly suggestive. Not only had its expression, as he spoke of Pauline, been that of a stuffed frog with a touch of the soul's awakening about it, but it had also turned a fairly deepish crimson in colour. The tip of the nose had wiggled, and there had been embarrassment in the manner. The result being that I had become firmly convinced that the old schoolmate had copped it properly. Quick work, of course, seeing that he had only known the adored object a few days, but 
Chuffy is like that, a man of impulse and hot-blooded impetuosity. You find the girl, and he does the rest. Well, if it was so, it was all right with me. Nothing of the dog in the manger about Bertram. As far as I was concerned, Pauline Stoker could hitch up with anyone she liked, and she would draw a hearty goat to it from the discarded suitor. You know how it is on quiet reflection in these affairs. For a time, the broken heart, and then suddenly the healing conviction that one is jolly well out of it. I could still see that Pauline was one of the most beautiful girls I had ever met, but of the ancient fire which had caused me to bung my heart at her feet that night at the plaza, there remained not a trace. Analyzing this, if analyzing is the word I want, I came to the conclusion that this changed outlook was due to the fact that she was so dashed dynamic. Unquestionably an eyeful, Pauline Stoker had the grave defect of being one of those girls who want you to come and swim a mile before breakfast and rout you out when you're trying to snatch a wink of sleep after lunch for a merry five sets of tennis. And now that the scales had fallen from my eyes, I could see that what I required for the role of Mrs. Bertram Worcester was something rather more on the lines of Janet Gaynor. But in Chuffey's case, these objections fell to the ground. You see, he's very much on the dynamic side himself. He rides, swims, shoots, chivies foxes with loud cries and generally bustles about. He and this pea stoker would make the perfect pair, and I felt that if there was anything I could do to push the thing along, it should be done unstintedly. So when at this point I saw Pauline coming out of the house and bearing down on me, obviously with a view to exchanging notes and picking up the old threads and what not, I did not leg it, but greeted her with a bright, what ho, and allowed her to steer me into the shelter of a path that led through the rhododendron shrubbery. All of which goes to show to what lengths a Worcester will proceed when it is a question of helping a pal, because the last thing I really wanted was to be closeted with this girl. The first shock of meeting her was over, but I was still feeling far from yeasty at the prospect of a heart-to-heart -heart talk. As our relations had been severed by post, and the last time we had foregathered we had been an engaged couple, I wasn't quite sure what was the correct note to strike. However, the thought that I might be able to put in a word for old Chuffy nerved me to the ordeal, and we parked ourselves on a rustic bench and got down to the agenda. Pauline proceeds to roll out her agenda for a few pages, the brunt of which is that she's in love with Chuffy, whereupon Bertie, quite sensibly, inquires, Well, what do you want me to do about it? Well, you're a friend of his. You could give him a hint. You could tell him there's no need for cold feet. It's not cold feet, it's delicacy. As I just explained, we men have our code in these matters. We may fall in love pretty nippily, but after that we consider it decorous to backpedal a while. We are the parfait gentle knights, and we feel that it ill beseems us to make a beeline for a girl like a man charging into a railway restaurant for a bowl of soup. We are what other nonsense. You asked me to marry you after you'd known me two weeks. Ah, oh, but there you are dealing with one of the wild Worcesters. Well, I can't see. Yes, I said. Proceed. You have our ear. But she was looking past me at something to the southeast. And turning, I perceived that we were no longer alone. There, standing in an attitude of respectful courtliness, with the sunshine playing upon his finely chiselled features, 
was Jeeves. Chapter 5. Bertie Takes Things in Hand I nodded affably. This man and I might have severed our professional relations, but a Worcester is always debonair. Ah, Jeeves. Good afternoon, sir. Pauline appeared interested. Is this Jeeves? This is Jeeves. So you don't like Mr. Worcester's banjolele? Uh, no, miss. I prefer that this delicate matter be not discussed, and it may be in consequence that I spoke a little curtly. Well, Jeeves, what is it? Mr. Stoker, sir. He is inquiring after Miss Stoker's whereabouts. Well, of course, there's always that old one about them being at the wash, but this seemed to be neither the time nor the place. I turned to the girl with an air of courteous dismissal. Old habits, as we know, die hard. After a few slightly awkward preliminaries between Bertie and his former gentleman's gentleman, the two are back in their familiar dynamic, which is to say that Bertie is asking Jeeves's advice, and Jeeves replies, I fear I have nothing to suggest at the moment, sir. Oh, come, come, Jeeves. No, sir. The difficulty being essentially a psychological one, I find myself somewhat baffled. As long as the image of Lord Watwatley persists in his lordship's consciousness, I fear that there is nothing to be done. Oh, of course there is. Why this strange weakness, Jeeves? It's not like you. Obviously the fellow must be shoved over the brink. I do not quite follow you, sir. Oh, of course you do. The thing's perfectly clear. Here's old Chuffy for the nonce just hanging dumbly round the girl. What he needs is a jolt. If he thought there was grave danger of some other bloke scooping her up, wouldn't that make him forget these dashed silly ideas of his and charge in, breathing fire through the nostrils? Jealousy is undoubtedly an extremely powerful motivating force, sir. Do you know what I'm going to do, Jeeves? Uh, no, sir. I'm going to kiss Miss Stoker and take care that Chuffy sees me do it. Uh, really, sir, I should not advocate... Oh, peace, Jeeves. I've got the whole thing taped out. It came to me in a flash as we were talking. After lunch, I shall draw Miss Stoker aside to this seat. You'll arrange that Chuffy follows her. Waiting till I see the whites of his eyes, I shall fold her in a close embrace. If that doesn't work, nothing will. I consider that you would be taking a decided risk, sir. His lordship is in a highly emotional condition. Well, a Worcester can put up with a punch in the eye for the sake of a pal. No, Jeeves, I desire no further discussion. The thing is settled. All that remains is to fix the times. I suppose lunch would be over by about 2.30. Incidentally, I'm not going in to lunch myself. No, sir. No, I can't face that gang. I'll remain out here. Bring me some sandwiches and a half bot of the best. Very good, sir. And by the way, the French windows of the dining room will be open in a weather like this. Sneak near them from time to time during lunch and bend in here. Something of importance might be said. Very good, sir. Plenty of mustard on the sandwiches. And at 2.30, inform Miss Stoker that I would like a word with her. And at 2.31, inform Lord Chuffnell that she would like a word with him. The rest you can leave with me. Very good, sir.